Welcome, everyone. This is Russ Galzo, Chronicles of the End Times. So glad to have you with us today as we look into the book of Revelation, chapter 2 today. And we're going to be looking at the letter to the churches in this episode. The church of Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and seeing what the Holy Spirit has to say to these churches. And uh, as we mentioned before, uh, these letters to these churches represent uh, not just these particular churches in the history of time, for we know that the Word of God speaks down through the ages. So every one of these churches exists today in some form. That's so amazing about the Holy Spirit and how Jesus teaches that these teachings are eternal teachings. You know, man hasn't really changed that much, mankind. You know, we're pretty much the same. Yeah, we have a lot of modern conveniences, and we sure dress different, and we talk different uh, than we did, you know, maybe 2,000 years ago or so. But we are basically the same people. And because of that, the churches that Jesus speaks to in this time, he's talking down through the ages to us today. And he knows that the same problems they had, we have today. They're just dressed up a little different, but they're the same. So let's take a look at Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, and yet you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them liars. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height by which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give the right to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. It looks like this church has a lot going for it, and yet the most important thing, it is left behind. And we see that a lot today in our churches, don't we? we it's so easy to do. None of us are above it. We can get busy doing church work, and we can get busy with programs, and we're just busy out of our minds sometimes. But if it's not done with the passion and the love for Jesus Christ that we had when we first came to him, then it doesn't amount to anything. Because God wants us to do these things out of love. Jesus wants us to do these things compelled by our relationship with him, by our love for him and his love for us. This is what drives us. This is the heart of the matter. This is how we came to Christ in the first place when we were confronted by his great love. So it's easy to fall into these traps, and we see that the uh, church at Ephesus has fallen into this trap. And it's amazing when we look at some of the history of the church of Ephesus. This was uh, the Apostle John's home church. And many believe that this is where uh, Mary spent her last days, because this is where John called his place home, and uh, as we know, at the cross, Jesus gave his mother to John to take care of. 
and to watch over. And John said he would. So uh, not a whole lot of proof for that, but this is what many believe. And uh, along with that, the Apostle Paul founded this church and he got them started and he preached there and many were saved. And this church built was built by him and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Timothy was the first pastor there at Ephesus. So there's a lot of rich history with the Ephesian church. And also in the midst of trying to live for God, they had great idolatry in this town. Uh, The famous Temple of Diana was there, uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. People would come from all parts of that area. They'd come for miles to worship at this temple and to bring their offerings. And so there was a, a real battle, a real spiritual battle going on between this new church in Ephesus and all this deep-rooted and deep-seated idol worship. And this was made uh, even worse by a fellow named Nicholas, who was actually ordained and touched and anointed by the apostles, along with Stephen and Philip and others in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, to take over some of the duties that the apostles uh, were faced with. And it says in uh, verse 5 that the proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Picurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and then Nicholas. And they say that Nicholas was from Antioch. He was a convert to Judaism. And then from there, a convert to Christianity. But prior to all of that, he was deep-rooted in paganism. And he was a Gentile who worshipped all kinds of idols and demons. And during these ceremonies, these sacrifices and these gifts that they would bring, they, many times there were sexual acts that were taking place as part of the whole ceremony. So he was really deep into all this. Then he converted to Judaism and then now to Christianity. From what we can understand... He was a very charismatic individual and probably a good leader type. And that's what led to his troubles. So evidently, he started mixing up all these beliefs. And he started to tell people that there's nothing wrong with, you know, if you fall into sexual sins and you're doing different things, it's not a big deal. You can mix that in with your faith. That could be part of your religion. And so he kind of parallels what Balaam did when he tricked the Israelites into all of this adultery and all of this sexual sins in worshiping Baal and other gods. So that's why in Revelation he's compared to that. So this Nicolaitans was the group that followed Nicholas in these beliefs, and they were trying to make their way into the church. Not a lot different than today, where we have different beliefs and people try to bring in other beliefs into the gospel, into the word of God, and try to mix it up and water it down and say, really, there's not, really, that's not a big deal. This is okay and that's okay, when all that does is just water down the gospel and then unplugs the church from the power of the Holy Spirit, because God can't dwell with all that. That's why he's called us out. We're a peculiar people. We're different. 
in the sense that we're called out to live for him and to live according to his word. So the church at Ephesus had a few problems. One was the major problem that they had fallen away from their first love. And Jesus here is reminding them, you need to get back to the relationship between you and me and that ongoing relationship that keeps us fresh in the spirit of God. But they did have going for them that they hated the works of the Nicolaitans. Now, nowhere in Scripture does it say that God hated these people, but he hated their deeds. He hated what they represented. He hated what they were trying to do. The Ephesian church was standing against that. They weren't going to let that happen. So God commends them for that. And then here in verse 7, he makes a promise to those who are faithful. As he does in each one of these letters to the churches, Jesus is always encouraging us Though we may get rebuked, though we may get corrected, he only corrects the ones he loves. And at the end of each letter, he gives a a promise of those who stay faithful. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So you can only picture this, how awesome this is. It kind of puts us back in the Garden of Eden where the tree of life was there, sustained Adam and Eve. They were designed and built to live forever before they fell into sin and decay came into this world. It gives us a promise of immortality in this great paradise where God is in the center of. So now we move on to the second portion of this chapter, and that's to the angel of the church of Smyrna. And so these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you a crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now, the city of Smyrna was a large city. And the population in John's day was probably about 200,000, which made it the second most prominent city in Asia. Smyrna is known by its Turkish name, Izmir, and has a population of now of probably around 3 million making it Turkey's uh, third largest city and uh, second largest seaport, too. So the church at Smyrna was in the midst of this very large city and under a lot of persecution. And you also notice that this is the shortest letter in the series of letters to these seven churches. And also, the Lord has found nothing wrong with this church. Now, this church was poor. It didn't have a lot of money. And like I said, it was heavily persecuted. So Jesus goes on to tell them, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So he's telling them, you know, don't worry. There's a lot of Jews in this area that during the persecution in Jerusalem, they just migrated, many of them, to Smyrna. And so there was a lot of persecution, mostly from the Jewish community. And he tells them, don't worry about it. You know, they're, they're not true Jews. They don't follow me. They don't really love me. So don't worry about those. 
and he's encouraging them. And he's telling them, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. And he goes to tell them that the devil's going to put some in prison and someone will suffer great persecution for 10 days. Now, what does this 10 days mean? It doesn't mean actual 10 days. You know, this is, uh, many believe, many theologians believe and historians believe that these 10 days represent the 10 major persecutions that they suffered under the Roman Empire, beginning with Domitian in 95 and going all the way down to Julian in the year 361. So there were 10 specific periods of intense persecution that they went through. But the Lord is telling them, you know, hang in there. Don't give up. Be faithful even unto the point of death. And I will give you a crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by at all by the second death. So this is a real serious, sober letter to these people who are suffering. He's not saying, I'm going to deliver you all and you're all going to be taken out of there. Don't worry about it. He's just encouraging them. Look, this is going to be tough, but stand up for me, even to the point of death, and I will give you a crown of life, which is a, a special crown that God gives to the martyrs, those who have to give up their lives for their faith. So he says, I'm going to really honor you. So be of good courage. And he tells him that you, if you overcome this, you will not be hurt by the second death. Now, the second death is something we're going to go into in, in great detail uh, down the line in the book of Revelation. But it suffices to say now that the second death is a spiritual death. You know, everyone dies the first death, the death of the flesh. But not everyone has to die the second death. And the second death is the death of the spirit, which gets cast into hell and eventually the lake of fire. And that is the second death. So he's saying, stick with me. You'll never have to worry about the second death. They might be able to kill the flesh, but they can't kill your spirit. And you'll be with me for eternity. And it's estimated that during these 10 days, this 10 periods of heavy persecution under the Roman Empire, that as many as 5 million Christians were killed for their faith. And so this was a, an absolute awful time, these 280 or so years uh, after Christ, uh, where the persecution was so heavy. In fact, uh, Polycarp, who's, who's a pupil of John, was one of the fathers of our faith, was burned at the stake in Smyrna, in A.D. 156, because he would not yield to what Rome wanted. Rome wanted, uh, they would put up with their with their Christianity as long as they also worshipped the emperor. But uh, Polycarp wouldn't do that. And so they tied him to a stake and they burned him. And uh, as history states, that Polycarp's hands suddenly became free in the fire and he was raising his hands over his head and clapping and worshiping God as he passed away in the in the flames, which just infuriated uh, those who were uh, put him there. God has his way, as he did with Stephen, and uh, for his people to just be able to handle such incredible persecution and yet give him praise in the face of the enemy. God's grace is an amazing thing. We saw it in Stephen, and now we hear about it with Polycarp, and then we'll now hear about it again uh, with another great man of God, Antipas, 
who was killed for his faith in Pergamum. So that brings us to the next letter. To the angel of the church of Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Well, where do we start? The Church of Pergamum. Well, here it was, sitting in this huge city where they had a high altar to Zeus, a temple to Athena. It was the first city in Asia to support imperial cult worship of the emperor. So we're right back into this incredible cauldron of evil. In this large media center, named after the serpent god Asclepius, which was a son of Apollo in ancient Greek mythology, he was the god of medicine and healing which was worshipped by the Romans and the Greeks. And that's where we get our, you know, that symbol of Asclepius uh, that's portrayed in the medical profession. So it is uh, odd, isn't it, the the, uh, origins of some of these things uh, that we see every day. And so we're going to look at the rest of Pergamum and the rest of this letter and on to Thyatira in our next episode as we finish chapter 2. And I encourage you, please, to go on Amazon.com and download Hidden Thrones. It's on sale now for $3.99, and the paperback is also available for $14.95. And I believe that you're going to be blessed by it. Hidden Thrones is the story of what's going on behind the scenes today in the spiritual world. So I know you'll enjoy this new novel, this new series. It's five parts. We're going to release the first two chapters tomorrow on the podcast so we'll be listening for that god bless you thanks so much for listening spread the word jesus is coming